And I, I want us to leave here today lifted up and encouraged. And I want to start by reading a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts. We're going to read the, from Acts chapter 9. Acts is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, fifth, chap, fifth book in the New Testament. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to read verses 10 through 22. Kind of a lengthy reading, but it tells a great story. Let's go ahead and read. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to a high priest, to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in, in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them back, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his, this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And then we're going to skip down to verse 10 if you're following along, or you can just watch here. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias, that would be you, coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Anybody ever helps God speak to you and you go, eh, are you sure? <laughs> it wasn't you, you weren't the first. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. This passage of Scripture tells the story of a man named Saul who experienced some, an amazing change in his life. The story of Saul's change, or what we call his conversion, is an amazing example of the grace of God. Because in this story, we can see how the Lord took a Christian-hating Pharisee Pharisees were the, the religious leaders of the day. He saved him by grace and then transformed into him into a man who would then go on to do great things for the Lord. Stories like Saul give us confidence that there is hope for people like us. Based on Saul's past, he was probably not a person we would have chosen as a candidate for the Lord to do great things through. Consider these facts. He was feared by Christians. You know why? Because he was having them killed. He did everything in his power to devastate Christianity, once again, because he was having Christians killed. He wanted to destroy the name of Jesus and what it stood for. 
He wanted to destroy the, the faith and the belief system, belief system of those who believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But in spite of Saul's hatred for Jesus and Christianity, God reached down to him in grace and redeemed Saul from his sin. God took Saul as he was, changed his life, gave him a new name, now he was known as Paul, and used Paul to alter the world. In spite of Paul's past, God used him to write 14 books of the Bible. Over half of the New Testament was written by this guy. In spite of his past, God used him to preach the gospel on three different continents. In spite of Paul's past, God used him as a missionary, used him as an evangelist, a personal witness, a church planter, a pastor, a prisoner, a theologian, and eventually a martyr. And while we look at Paul's conversion, and we might think it's miraculous, we need to remember that every conversion, regardless of who it is, only comes about as the miracle and because of the miracle of God's grace. And while all conversions are miraculous, God uses us all in different ways. In Paul's case, God used him in a great way during his life but Paul's ministry is still bearing fruit today. Even though Paul wrote what the, the letters he wrote, the books of the Bible that he wrote over 2,000 years ago, tens of millions of people around the world have read those and are still reading them today. We're talking about Paul today. As I've said recently, sometimes we, we tend to look at the great people of the Bible like Paul, and we might be tempted to, to think of them as superheroes, and feel that there is no way that the Lord could use us like he used Paul. In fact, we might even believe that God can't use us at all. But while we might feel unworthy to be used of the Lord in his work, be assured that he can use us. And be assured that he will use us if we will make ourselves available to him what it's going to take. Paul was every bit as human as you and I are. And while his calling might be different than what yours might be, if you have been saved, born again, you too have been called for the work of the Lord. This is the perfect example right here. This is the ministry. It's not like mine. It might not be like yours, but this is a calling. This is the ministry. When God saves us, he sets us apart for his use. He doesn't save us just to save us. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that when we are saved, we become his possession. And that means that when we are forgiven, we are sanctified, we are justified. Those are all churchy words that mean that our sins are not only gone, it's like they never happened. It's, they will never be remembered us against us again. So I have titled this sermon today, very simple title, simply, Can God Use Me? And with that question in mind, let's look at some of the ob obstacles that many people, maybe even most people would say, stood in the way of God even using Paul. Although Paul had what we would think of as major obstacles in the way of being used by the Lord, God overcame every obstacle 
And be assured that he can overcome any obstacles in your life as well. And before we leave here today, I want you to realize that if you are willing to completely commit your life to the Lord, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God can use you. According to Paul's own testimony, he himself, he said that he was guilty of doing everything in his power to put Christians to death. In Acts chapter 22, verse 4, he said, I was persecuted of this way. I, per I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. He not only had them thrown in prison, he had them killed. In Acts ch chapter 26, verse 10, Paul says, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In other words, when it came up, should they die? I went, yeah. This is Paul talking about himself. In 1 Timothy 1.13, we read that Paul says before his conversion, he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. This is the Apostle Paul that we're talking about. Actually, this is Saul before he became Paul. We should note that even though Paul was all of these things, and we would look at it and say, boy, he was a bad person. But as, as far as the, the fellow, his fellow Pharisees, the organized religion of that day, as far as they were concerned, this man they knew as Saul was a man to be envied. They looked at him like he was a great guy. Philippians, 5 verses, or Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6, tells us all of the qualifications that, that Paul had as a, a Pharisee. According to the standards set by the religious leaders of his day, Paul had done all the right things. He had gone to the right school. He had the right education. And yet in his lost spiritual state where he was before he came to Christ, he was as wicked and unsaved as anyone else who had ever walked the earth. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, we read that Saul of Tarsus, who we know was later known as Paul, gave his approval to the murder of a preacher of the gospel, a man named Stephen. In fact, we read that, that he stood by and watched and even held the coats of the guys that were stoning this pastor named Stephen. But although Saul was a wicked man, his sin was no obstacle for the grace of God. And when God saved Saul, he was changed forever by the grace of God. And I will tell you today that whatever is in your past is no obstacle for the grace of God. Regardless of, of who you were, what you did before you were saved, it doesn't matter to the Lord anymore. There are people who come and get saved and they never get past where I used to be. And typically, I will tell you, that comes from the devil because he's really good at reminding us of where we came from. But when God saved you, he washed your past away forever. And at that point, you got a clean record. You got a new start. That's what Jesus referred to in John 3.3 as being born again. It's a brand new start. I love this quote by Pastor Alan Carr. He says this, 
And I'll quote, there are three records of our past deeds. There is the record we carry in our minds. There is the record carried by all those who knew us before we met Jesus. And there is the record carried by Satan. End of quote. And what that means is even though we might remember our past, our friends, our family might remember our past, where we were, and be assured that Satan remembers our past. We know for sure that if we are forgiven, God has chosen not to remember our past. If we are forgiven, born again, if we have made Jesus the Lord of our life, and our lives have become the new person that we read about in 2 Corinthians 5.17, then our past is no obstacle to God using us now or in the future. I don't know what God has ahead for you. I don't know what your calling will be 10 years from now. Mine is certainly not what it was 10 years ago. Even six years ago. As a matter of fact, six years ago today, I became the pastor of High Point Church. <laughs> Whether I wanted to or not. Who said that? Psalm 103 says, it lets us know that God has removed our sins. He removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. So if we are saved, our sins are gone. And God sees us if those sins never happened. When he looks at us, he doesn't see the sins that we committed before he saved us. He doesn't look at us and go, yeah, I know you're saved, but I know where you came from. He doesn't do that. He looks at you and goes, you're my child. I love you. And if you go, well, what about that thing I did? He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Throughout the Bible, we read that God used people in spite of and after some of their greatest failures. Peter preached his greatest sermon and had his greatest ministry after denying that he even knew Jesus. Moses was a murderer. We know that he murdered an Egyptian. And yet God used him eventually to deliver the Jews out of Egypt. Samson sinned against God. And yet we read that he slew more Philistines in his death, at the end of his life, than he had during his entire, his entire life. Jacob was the deceiver. And yet the Lord transformed, transformed him and used him greatly. And there are a lot of other people that are mentioned in the Bible that could be included in this list, but we can see by the ones mentioned here that God can take someone who has failed miserably in the past and use them for his glory. Here's what I want us to see today. Your past does not have to define your future if you have placed your future in God's hands. Let's read that again. Your past does not have to define your future if you have placed your future in God's hands. When Saul had his encounter with the Lord, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and have them killed. He literally was on his way to do something horrible. And yet, in spite of that, the Lord was able to change Saul and use him for his glory. And I will tell you, he can do the exact same thing in your life today. He can take you, even with all the baggage that you might be carrying, and he can and will use you 
if you'll just give your life to him. We all have had issues in our past. And I will say there is none worse than the other because sin is sin. Well, but you don't know. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. There's probably someone here today or someone that's watching online or will be listening to this sermon at some point in the future that has had a wicked past. There might be someone who feels like they lack education, feel like they have very few resources with which to work. Some are weak and immature in their faith. Others are timid and afraid. And while others are filled with arrogance and pride, without a doubt, there is someone that's hearing my voice today who is in a situation that others might look at you and look at you as being unfit to be used by God. Don't pay any attention to them. Because I will assure you that God is able to take us where we are and use us in spite of our limitations. He is able to change what needs to be changed and use us in amazing ways. The key here is change. We cannot live like a Saul and expect to be used like a Paul. Let me say that again. We cannot live like a Saul and expect to be used like a Paul. In other words, in order for us to go forward and be used of God, there has to be a conversion. There has to be a change in our lives. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that the old life is gone and now a new life has begun. What does that mean? Change. The Bible is filled with examples of this. Moses was 80 years old when God called him into ministry. He had some other problems too. He was not an eloquent speaker. In fact, his biggest excuse that he used of God was, I stutter, because he stuttered. He was filled with fear. And worst of all, he was opposed to God's plan for his life. God said, I want you to go do this. And he goes, I don't think I want to. Anyone else ever been there? I'll raise my hand on that one. And yet, despite all of Moses' baggage, God was able to use him for his glory. There was a demon-possessed man we read about in the New Testament in Mark chapter 5. He was feared by everyone. And yet, after this man was delivered, Jesus told him, go home to your family and tell everyone, tell them everything the Lord has done for you. You go, what's the big deal? This man was changed. And then God used him for his glory. And then look at the next verse. Mark 5.20 says, So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. You might say this man, this man who had been, had been demon-possessed, this man who had been living in a cemetery was the very first missionary that was ever sent by Jesus himself. The key word there is had been. I say had been because this man was changed. He was no longer the same person that he had been before he met Jesus. And now, as a result of meeting Jesus, he was telling others what Jesus had done in his life. Our theme for this year at High Point Church, let me tell you about my Jesus. I'm pretty sure he'd be on board with that. And he was so convincing 
Remember, this is the guy that everybody was afraid of. They'd try to chain him up in the cemetery and he would break the chains and he would scream and holler all night and people were terrified of him. And now his life was changed and he was going out and telling people, look what happened in my life. And everyone was amazed. I say that to let you know that your present circumstances did not catch the Lord by surprise. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows your past. He knows where you are right now. And he can and still will use your life if, if you will completely yield it to him for his glory and allow him to change you. In order for God to be able to use us, we have to put Romans 12, 1 and 2 into practice. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. You know who wrote this? Paul. Let your body be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You think Paul knew about transformation? Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It doesn't matter where you are or what baggage you might be carrying. The Lord can and will use you only if you will yield it to him. If you want to be used of the Lord then you must be willing to give him everything. That means baggage and all. And if you'll do that, then watch what God can do through you. If he could take a demon-possessed man and use him as a missionary and use him as an evangelist, what can he do with you? A lot of Christians in the early church were afraid of Paul even after his conversion because a lot of them looked at his conversion, they thought it was a trap, that he was going to get to know them, and then once he found that they were Christians, he would have them arrested and have them killed. And the fear was so bad that when Paul went to Jerusalem to meet the apostles, Acts 9.27 tells us a man named Barnabas had to go with him and introduce him. And God was still able to overcome this hurdle and use God in a great way. If you take the time to look at Paul's life, you will find that he was a man with many personal characteristics that seemed to be a hindrance to his life. Many of us have personal characteristics that we too feel hinder us from doing the work of the Lord. But God can take what we view as a liability and turn it into a strength. If we will only yield our life to him completely. Time and time again, the Bible proves this to be true. We've already mentioned Moses, but, but God took this 80-year-old man who had a speech impediment and used him as what? As a spokesperson. Let that sink in for a minute. It seems that God has a wonderful sense of irony because he took a man who was convinced that his speech impediment would hinder anyone from listening to him and used use Moses as a mouthpiece to the Egyptian rulers. Consider this as well. If you know the story, 
You know, that God said, I can't do this. Please send my brother along with me and he can talk to the Pharaoh. And God said, okay, you can take your brother. When they arrived in Egypt, we don't read anything in the Bible that says Aaron ever said a word. Moses did all the talking. Moses, the guy who stuttered, did all of the talking. Again, let that sink in. Then we read about a young Jewish girl named Esther. She saved all of her people, the people of Israel. She saved them from a slaughter. God used a, a young, unknown shepherd boy named David. And even with all his faults, he became the greatest king that Israel had ever had. God used 12 unknown men, his disciples, from all different types of of life to set the world on fire. Even Jesus had some strikes against him. In John 8, 41, we read that Jesus was accused of being an illegitimate child. Many people in Jesus' day viewed him as someone who was no more than a guy who was the son of Mary and Joseph. That's, that's, he's nobody. I knew him when he was a little boy. His dad's Joseph the carpenter and Mary's that teenage girl that got pregnant. That's all they thought about Jesus. Jesus was from Nazareth and, and there were those, specifically one follower named Nathaniel, who said, Nazareth, really? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Some even said Jesus was nothing more than a tool of Satan. And that all the miracles he performed, he did them by the power of Satan. So he had a few things going against him, a few marks against him. But look what Jesus did in just over 33 years of his life. And the impact that's still made on this world. Regardless of who you are, where you came from, the sinfulness of your past, your absolute failures in life, the problems you might currently have, the odd personality quirks that you might exhibit, what your, leg- uh, your, your level of education is or isn't, what your level of acceptance by others might be. Regardless of all of that, God can and will take that and use it if you will make yourself available to him. Well, pastor, you just don't know. Well, maybe I don't. But I will tell you that I have had and still have a few problems of my own. Thank you. (laughs) Got an amen on that one. But I will tell you that God has all kinds of people in his service with a few things in common. First of all, they've all been forgiven. They have all put the old life behind them. And they have committed their whole life to God and said, Lord, lead me, I will follow Someone might be thinking, yeah, but all the people you mentioned are people in the Bible, and God doesn't work like that anymore. Let me tell you about a couple people. Before he became a a great preacher and the founder of a great Bible college, Moody Bible Institute that has sent thousands, tens of thousands of men and women to ministry around the world, D.L. Moody was a successful shoe salesman when someone witnessed to him, and he got saved. I'm certainly not comparing myself to D.L. Moody, but I spent 37 years in the automobile industry, and much of that was spent managing large dealerships for others and training salespeople. 
And then the last 14 years of my career as the owner of our own dealership before I became a pastor. You say, why do you mention that? I say that to assure you that if God can use a a shoe salesman and an old car guy, he can use you. If you are willing to be used of the Lord, if you are willing to yield yourself completely to him, he will use you regardless of your personal shortcomings. Yield yourself, flaws and all, and then get ready because God will use you. There are several scriptures in in Paul's writings in the various epistles that seem to indicate that he had some physical limitations. In his writing to the Galatians, it seems to indicate that his eyesight was failing. He said something along the lines in the book of Galatians that he, he knew that they loved him, that some of you would probably even pluck out your eyes for me. So he had some eyesight issues going on. Second Corinthians, we read that he had a thorn in the flesh that many Bible scholars think might have been a physical challenge. And yet God was able to use Paul in spite of all his character flaws and physical infirmities. God used him in spite of those things that plagued his life. Paul came to understand that his physical weaknesses and the difficulties worked for him to provide him with a greater spiritual power. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul wrote this. He said, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I, I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not in his own strength, but knowing that his strength came from the Lord. And like Paul, you might look at yourself as being weak maybe even unable to do much for the cause of Christ. But let me encourage you with this. God doesn't need you to be strong and able to do it all on your own. He's okay with you being weak. And he wants you to be dependent on him and his power. He doesn't want people to say, I got this, I don't need you. He wants people to say, I can't do this on my own. There's no way. I can't do this without you, Lord. I give you my life. When we do that, that is when he will do things with our lives. God often takes the weak and empowers them with his grace and uses them for great way, in great ways for his glory. Back in the Old Testament, we read about a woman named Hannah who wanted a child. She turned to the Lord in desperation and God gave her a son who was destined to be a great spiritual leader to the Israelite people. The son's name was Samuel. She said, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I will give him back to you. Samuel became one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. There was a man named Daniel. Actually, he was a young teenage boy named Daniel. And the Lord gave him strength to stand against the king of Babylon. God even used Daniel to bring this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, to faith in the Lord. And it happened because Daniel yielded his life to the Lord. He was a slave, he was an Israelite slave in Babylon, and he was a teenage boy, and he was still able to stand. Gideon was another man mentioned in the Old Testament. Gideon was, his story didn't start out all that great, because he was filled with fear. Not a real good attribute for a military leader. 
Right, Philip? He was a fearful man, and he was the leader of the military. But in spite of that, when Gideon finally got around to trusting God completely, he used Gideon to lead the nation of Israel to mighty military victories. And then there was this young teenage girl named Mary. And God told her that she had been chosen to be the mother of Jesus. And since she was an unwed teenager, imagine the repro reproach that she endured. And yet Mary was obedient and strong in the Lord, and he used her for his glory. In the Old Testament, we read about a young girl. We don't even know her name. She was an Israelite slave in Syria. And we read of how God used her to point this powerful general named Naaman to, the, to God. And pointed her, this guy named Naaman to, God, to a God who could provide a cure for his leprosy. There was no cure for leprosy outside of a miracle from God. I mention all of these people to let us know that God specializes in using the insignificant and the small to accomplish his will. I never thought that I would stand here as a pastor of this church. I grew up in this church. My dad was the pastor. I was fine with that. When my dad could no longer be the pastor, another great man came in and became the pastor for about 10 years. And I was okay with that. And then he retired. I wasn't okay with that. <laughs> but at the time, I was still, we still had our business in Lakeland. Ruthie and I were both driving to Lakeland every day. She went to her job. I went to mine. We'd come home at night, take care of my dad and my mom. My dad was sick. And I said, there's just no way I could be the pastor of a church doing all that. And yet God worked in ways to change my heart to where I, would be, I was willing to say, Lord, if this is what you want for me, then I will be willing to do it. Now, there was a lot of encouragement from Sister Burrell, <laughs> but there was still this change in my heart. There is no telling what God can do with you if you will only place your life in his hands. I look across this congregation and I see all types of people, all ages, backgrounds, demographics. And I can tell you this, that God can use you if you'll just let him. I've watched Andrew and how God has used him and how here was this shy young man who started coming here with his mom a couple years ago. I believe it was during COVID. And he was shy. And then he, said, he came to me one day and said, Pastor, is there anything I can do? 
And I said, sure. And I showed him a couple things. He goes, okay. And he's been faithful ever since. And then he started standing at the door and welcoming people in the mornings. And I mentioned to him in passing, you ever thought about maybe just opening a service on Sunday morning? And he said he would think about it, and he came to me and said, yeah. And I, I'll never forget this. The first day, he walked up to this pulpit right here and started speaking. I remember standing there like this. Because I saw God take this young man and start to mold him and make him and change him. He wasn't a bad guy when he came here. But God has placed him in these different places and is using him. And others in this church, I've seen the same thing. What I'm saying, I say those, give those examples to let you know that if we are willing God will use us in spite of our flaws, in spite of our, 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 what we think are our limitations. As I've said, I, I realize that sometimes we hear a sermon like this and we think, yeah, but pastor, you just don't know. And I might not know all the specifics, but here's, here's something I do know. There are some who are hearing this sermon today or will hear it sometime in the future and you're fighting depression. There's some who are battling addiction. Some are battling loneliness. Some are struggling with feelings of inferiority. Some are battling memories of your past. There are some of you who might even feel inadequate to do anything for the Lord. Maybe you believe God can use others, but he just can't use you. Let me encourage you today to know that whatever name your particular weakness may carry, it can be an obstacle, but only if you allow it to be. But to the Lord, your problem or your weakness is not an obstacle at all. God can take you with your weaknesses and still use you to confound the strongest of those you would come in contact with. God can take you with your weaknesses and use you to accomplish great things for his glory. He can take your life, your past, your testimony, and he can use it to bring people to himself because of your past and because of your testimony. The bottom line is this. He can use you. And the secret lies in one word, and that's surrender. So I will ask you today, are you surrendered to the Lord and to his will for your life? Amen. The mouth of babes. I'll close with this. We all have a choice. We can either live in defeat disobedience, or we can place our whole life into God's hand and trust him to use us for his glory. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You are not a rough sketch. You are not an afterthought. 
You are not a discarded creation. No, you are God's masterpiece. When God looks at you, he sees his finest work. And as such, he did not save you so that he could isolate you away in a church building while the world around you goes to hell. No. He saved you and he saved me to put us on display. And he wants the world to see him when they look at us. We are the reflection of him in this world. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Not so that everyone will praise you for your good deeds, but so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. If we are truly dedicated to the Lord, then I will tell you that people are reading our lives everywhere we go. Let's make sure that what they're reading is written well. Let's make sure that what they're reading brings glory to the Lord. God can and will use you if you will place yourself, your problems, your sins, and your shortcomings in his hands. According to John 4.15, if we love the Lord, we'll be obedient to his commandments. What he's looking for is obedience because that proves that we love him. God desires obedience more than any sacrifice that we can give him. So to answer the title of this sermon, yes, God can use you. Yes, God can use you. Would you stand? As the worship team sings today, would you come today, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, maybe you're just starting, maybe you haven't made a start, maybe you've been living for the Lord for 40 years, wherever you are in your your walk with him, would you come today and just yield yourself completely to him? Because I will tell you, if you will do that, then you'll be able to watch him use you in greater ways than you could have ever imagined. As we sing, would you come today and give your life to the Lord and watch you use him for his glory.